Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Welcome to Actuarial People, Joe Hills. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much for, for taking the time. We, we haven't actually spoken before. I think I messaged you a, a few months back just because I spotted, spotted your recent move. Yes, uh, obviously quite a big one moving from pedestrian to insurance and from consulting to an internal role. But I uh, wanted to make sure that I was able to give you a good idea of what I'd be doing here. Uh, yeah. So heads I wasn't able to accept straight away. No, but re- really appreciate it. And thanks for, thanks for being brave. So I wondered if you could just start by giving us a quick overview of who you are and what you do today. And then we'll go back to the beginning and, and work from there. Sounds good. So um, as you said, I'm Joe Hills. I am currently working uh, as a capital actuary at Beasley, which is general insurer. So my responsibilities involve helping the capital team with updating and maintaining the internal model. But more specifically, my work's more focused on testing the model to make sure that it's both operating effectively and is compliant with the regulation that we are subject to, such as Sovereignty 2. Fantastic. Well, I will ask the the same question I start with every week, which is, can you tell us how you discovered that the actuarial profession existed? It's really strange, but when I was very young, I remember speaking to a friend of my mum's or a neighbour or something like that. And I think they were giving the standard kind of questions they ask other people's like school kids, like, oh, what do you enjoy about school? Things like that. And I think I must have said maths. And they said they had their son's friends had uh, were actuaries. And he, she described it quite interestingly. She said they were all bald, but they all drive Porsches, um, neither, of, <laughs> neither of which I've been subject to just yet. Um, Is that your goal then? Is that your goal in life? Yeah, well, yeah, half it. <laughs> um, but uh, when I was able to become a bit more aware of what the actual profession involved more specifically, it was following my first job out of uni. I had been in a role which was quite people-focused, so I was in business development. My responsibility at that company, which was a peer-to-peer lending company, was to try and get businesses on the platform to raise money. It wasn't one that was focused particularly on maybe the skills I'd gained over studying physics at uni and the maths and physics beforehand. It was more of a people-focused role. And the reason I got into that was because my placement year was spent at UBS, which was a really good place to work. But I actually wanted something where I thought I was going to be speaking to people outside the office more often and where I'd be able to carry out this kind of task I enjoy where I get to explain things to people and then I got to the people focused role and was like, I actually missed the more technical mathematical elements of it so I was a bit unsure as to what to go to but a friend of mine has a mate who actually had a same similar background to me in physics at uni and also had a sister who was an actuary as well so he suggested that that may be a role I'd be interested in so I did a little bit of research myself uh, his friend was kind enough to have a call with me and just discuss what sort of things he was involved in. He was in pensions as well. He was in uh, retirement consulting. And mm. the role just started out really interesting. And I thought that it did seem to tickle the box I wanted to, um, I wanted in a role. 
it was quite interesting because that I ended up a day on actually because after UBS I went to the peer-to-peer lender that I went to as a startup because I was unsure about whether the larger environment was right for me but then I did decide that maybe I would prefer the larger environment afterwards um but the actual profession I think the main kind of characteristics of it and why I became aware of it in more detail enough to pursue it was definitely just after that first role outside of uni when I was able to speak to a mutual friend. So you, you graduated in physics and then you did something very different for, for a couple of years. How, mm. how did you find the process of getting into the profession then? Were, were you applying for grad schemes or was your entry slightly different to that? So obviously having been out of uni for two years I was a little bit cautious about applying for grad schemes because I think anyone who makes a career change at some point will have that kind of doubt in their head that it's the right choice because they'll be thinking am I joining the profession too late will I never be able to catch up to maybe someone who's at the same stage of life as me whether it be in terms of relationship or age or things like that but I quite quickly got out of my head because I thought grad schemes are the best way to develop in careers when you're when you're new to it so I got that quickly out of my head I did apply to grad schemes and Aon was one which was going and obviously Aon was a Massive name, massive name, a really good reputation. So it was a no-brainer to apply for that. Yeah. Do you remember your sort of first first few weeks of actually finding out what it's really like and getting stuck into the work? Yeah, it was it was definitely what I was looking for. I mean, as I mentioned, I was looking for something more technical. And those initial roles you're kind of given in Pedro's consulting revolve around checking transfer values. It might be carrying out more regular tasks like calculating monthly factors or maybe drafting some communication, some of the more simple communications when you come in. And I think it was a really good entrance to the career because I was given quite a wide range of things to learn about. And I thought AM were really good at giving you a good idea of how they expect you to progress and what sort of role to be effective in. I was on several client teams and I think every senior person on there was really welcoming and really helpful with um, giving me an idea of what I could do. So the first few weeks is a bit daunting because you spend a lot of time on these tasks and then I think eventually you realise, oh, I'm actually supposed to be doing this a lot more quickly. But um, naturally you get a bit more used to the tasks and you get a bit more used to the roles that you're uh, going to be carrying out. So it was a bit nerve-wracking to go back into something technical after two years of doing something non-numerical, but um, I was fortunate enough to have a really supportive team there. Yeah, and then and the sort of math stuff, was that, were you comfortable with it having studied physics or were there some new... Did you have to go deeper into the math side compared to what you studied? I'd say so. I mean, I, I picked physics because I was interested in it at A-level. It wasn't actually the A-level I performed best at. I performed best at maths, but I felt that physics was quite broad because it had a lot of qualitative aspects to it as well that were non-numerical. And then I also thought in terms of career afterwards, physics was a subject which would be quite broadly accepted. It had a lot of characteristics in it, which would be appreciate I think by employers and the maths that kicked off with um, Aon obviously there are a few models that are able to help you out I suppose understanding them models was one of the first things you had to learn because if you were for example doing a check and it didn't match up with what an administrator had sent you you had to kind of work out why so I do think that there were some concepts that I wasn't aware of when going into Aon that uh, it perhaps would have been helpful to be aware of but that kind of goes that sort of daunting element of the maths or the more complicated maths definitely goes away once you've just asked questions to people above you and yeah. managed to carry out the task a few times yeah and how how did you find the exams because presumably 
well, you might possibly have had an exemption or two, but possibly not. So you had to start from the beginning. Yeah, I didn't have any exemptions. I had to, I've had to do uh, all 13. It was quite an interesting time when I joined because my first sitting was meant to be April 2020. Okay. But that was, of course, when COVID had hit, exam halls were no longer a thing. The CM and CS exams got cancelled and I was meant to be doing CM1 and CB1. So it was quite a nice entrance in that. I was only, I only had to do one exam for my first sitting, which I was fortunate enough to pass. With the exams in general, there's such a broad range of topics covered that I think everyone's relationship with the exams is different. So the way I kind of viewed, uh, there were some exams like CM1 where I enjoyed learning about the maths outlined in there, annuities and reserving that I enjoyed while studying, but that it took me two attempts to pass. Then there was CS1 and CS2, which includes R modeling, which is interesting to get to, but I think anyone who's done it as well knows it can be quite frustrating when you're not getting what you want, but once you do finally crack it, you're really happy with the results that come out, if it comes out how you're expecting. Um, and CS2 is a particularly difficult exam. I know a lot of people have found it difficult, but you know, I was able to pass that first time. So it's been quite a complicated relationship with the exams. I think CP1 is definitely one I'm uh, struggling with at the moment. I've um, got that to sit in April. But overall, I think, you know, if you want to have a positive experience with exams, anyone will tell you it all comes down to planning. It all comes down to making sure you're revising the right way in the most effective way. But that's not the same for everyone. And I always found it because in Aon, I was for a short time study coordinator, but for a long time in that I was in an informal study support role. I just found it was really important that the students there didn't compare their progress to other people's because it was very easy to do that. So you were helping people with their own exam technique, were you? Yeah, we're just providing tips like things I found helpful uh, at Aon. You know, they're really good at, and same with BT, they're really good at making sure that you're able to get all the materials you need that would best help you revise. And I think that each set of materials that we're provided with uh, from BPP, which is what I think the majority of actual students use, has a different purpose and everyone finds certain materials more helpful than others. So what I was trying to do really was just highlight what each set of materials were, what the core material pack was, the practice questions in there, the chapter summaries and the revision booklets, the uh, sound revision and the assignments and just say like how I found them helpful. If you want to revise this way, maybe these are the materials you want to focus on more. Um, if you want to practice questions, then get the asset papers because they'll be able to give you kind of more detailed solutions in the marking scheme available. So it, I just thought it was really important to highlight early with students who are there that the way you revise won't be the same as everyone else's. Don't be too daunted if someone started studying earlier than you or they're studying in a different way. Mm. Um, otherwise, I think that's what leads to a lot of actual students having a negative experience with uh, related to their exams. Yeah. How, how did you get into that that sort of role? Is that is that your desire to work with people? Does it just sort of happen? Yeah. So I was I was I was really going for the people roles. Um, I so I was in the study support. I was in study support, which I thought would be good because it was almost helpful to be like a reminder. But I liked being a point of contact for people, and I felt that early on you're not exactly going to be a point of contact for something quite complex like GMP equalization or accounting that takes a bit of time and a bit more experience but with the study support if you've done the exams a couple of times and you've gotten a feel for what your what materials you have and what you found helpful and how other people have used the materials then it was quite good to be that person to speak to in relation to the 
relation to study advice. And then later on, when I was for a short time study coordinator, we asked some of the more technical questions around exam, I suppose, such as how do the exemptions work? How does expensing exams work? Yeah. I, I liked being that point of contact for something that covered all of the new grads or all of the students that were taking exams. Did that add extra pressure on your own exam progress? I did actually, I didn't think it really put any more pressure on my exams, although I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, the results went out and maybe I'd failed a couple and someone thought, why is this guy doing study support? <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't really think there was much uh, pressure on that. And I think that also came with another thing that students probably s- struggled to comprehend at first. I think I know I did when I joined was that uh, I think people have that kind of fear that if they fail the exam, the way some people's like minds are, because I know like minded with the first one I failed, I was all like, oh, if I failed the exam because maybe the profession's not right for me or something. But you end up learning that if your exam progress is maybe not where you want it to be, it's not a reflection on how good you are at your job or how people will view you at your role. The exams help, of course, because you get that um, underlying knowledge, which you'll be able to apply to your role. But it was important to have some separation between how well you're doing in your exams and the feedback you're receiving from your uh, peers and your seniors on your client teams. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So, so if we go back to the, the the work side, how did your role start to develop? You you know you've been there a few few months or, or or whatever it may be. Obviously, you're you're someone who seeks out the people side. So, when did sort of client meetings come in? Was that something you were you were sort of pushing to to start doing as early as possible? Hi guys, we'll get straight back to the conversation in a second. Just a quick reminder that when I'm not recording podcasts, I specialise in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves, and I'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options. I work with people at all levels, whether you have a couple of years' experience through to senior positions. My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. Well, I was more comfortable actually trying to learn the technical side of it first. I know a lot of people were keen to go to the client meetings, but I wanted to make sure that I had a good enough understanding of what was going on with each client and the nature of the schemes. Because when you're on quite a few client teams, you do learn that there are quite scheme-specific characteristics that aren't seen anywhere else and you need to learn how to deal with them. So with the scheme meetings, I was more interested in progressing enough to a point where I was maybe checking work by people below me and being able to understand the work before I was involved in those client meetings. Um, Mm. The ones I went to were mainly regular meetings where it was more of a catch-up and a recap over what we'd done over the previous month, three months, and then one... Actually, there was one towards the end of my time at AM where it was a meeting to discuss evaluation results. And it was good to get that experience. I think it's good to kind of place a face to a name for not only to the people you're communicating with, but also so that they can see like a name, which probably they only know for their Microsoft Outlook for the, <laughs> outlook for the uh, past couple of months or so. I think the progression was really, was stated really clearly from the beginning with a lot of them with the nature of consultancy you're on multiple client teams sometimes as your responsibilities go up you might not be able to stay on those client teams so when that happens you have an opportunity to go on there obviously it didn't happen in the first few months but I think that turnover was quite helpful for letting people at every level develop uh, whether you were one of the more senior consultants who are maybe looking to 
potentially take a risk like say ski mastery or if you're someone who is quite junior who just wanted to experience checking and being able to delegate work and just learn how each stage um of your career looks what did you enjoy most about the role at the time i liked the variety i've i liked that there were all there was always some project going on where it would be unique to a scheme so i think one of the big things that happened obviously when i was joining gmp equalization was quite a big focus um i think it continued to be a focus throughout my time there and that was quite an interesting one to look at not only in terms of like the data involved but looking at the impact of it then in every three years you have the uh, statutory valuation which where you do a sort of deep dive in and it's interesting to learn about those different factors that affect the scheme and how they affect the scheme what's led to changes in them since uh, three years prior then legislation could be brought in you obviously had what happened uh, at, towards the end of uh 2022 where buyout became a bit more realistic for a lot of schemes hmm. and it was interesting to be in the company at that time because a lot of schemes that like I, those schemes that i was working on where buyout was really even considered had suddenly become a short to medium term uh not objective but had become possible in the short to medium term which was as so it was interesting to see how client kind of considers that how um the work changes what goes into a process like that so it was it was something where although you had these regular tasks where member queries might be quite um similar although you would get your member query which was quite unique there was still a lot of right going on just to because of how many different schemes there were and because we were able to get the opportunity to work both in trustee consulting and in corporate consulting when you're seeing these different things, these different types of work, GMP equalization, buyout coming in, trustee work, corporate work, did you start thinking about, oh, actually, these are the bits that I've enjoyed the most? Did you start to specialise or you just sort of, you just love the variety and wanted to keep it that way? I did like the variety. And for the majority of the time I was there, I didn't really, special. I didn't specialise in anything particularly. There were some points where maybe I was responsible for some of the more common roles, um, with schemes and with communicating with certain clients. But towards the end, I did end up specialised, I did I ended up joining the accounting strategy team, okay. which I found was a really helpful team to join because I did get more contact with people outside of the company. I was one of the liaisons for two of the auditors that we worked with and then eventually was on the calls for all four. And that was helpful because it meant that I was able to put together materials with help of other members in the AST to show to corporate consultants what auditors were particularly focused on when accounting exercises were being carried out. And that was good because it meant that there were people from several different levels on accounting projects who wanted to know what a certain auditor thought of a certain factor in the accounting. And I was able to answer that question. So that was the closest I think I got to specializing there. But it was, although it was quite short because it was probably the last nine to 12 months of my time at Aon, it was interesting to be that person who could be spoken to and be asked questions about what might affect their scheme, what might affect their that auditing process for an exercise that they might need to look at or be prepared to answer. Yeah. So, so obviously now you work in in general insurance. You're at you're at Beasley. Can you go back to sort of when you first started having thoughts of I don't know what those thoughts would be. Whether it's I'm looking for a new challenge or, or what was sort of was the first seed in that process. So. For me, it was never, there was never like an issue with Aon. I got on with loads of people there. I still see them now. Um, I'm fortunate enough to consider a lot of like former colleagues as friends I'm able to see outside of work. Um, yeah. So the reason I decided to step into Beasley 
was that I had spent four years as a consultant. I was I was developing well. AM were really good at helping me develop. But I thought that there were some certain elements of consultancy which maybe meant I didn't feel I was certain that I was adding the most value there. I was at this stage as well where I'd passed the majority of my core exams and I was now getting to that stage where the remaining exams were specialists. So they were going to be pension specific. And I thought if there was a good time to like consider it, it was around that time after I'd finished my core exams. And I felt that because it was still quite early on in my career, I had that opportunity to go from pensions to insurance and see what it's like because my experience with insurance had only been what I'd seen in the exams and general insurance was interesting. I knew people who had moved from pensions to insurance and had um, really enjoyed it, but I tried not to focus too much on their own experience and kind of focus more on why I was interested in switching across. Uh, Consultancy itself, I did enjoy the people element of it. I liked working in different teams, but I felt that I would probably be able to add more value in a in an internal role where maybe there was a more of a shared focus with the whole team rather than these separate teams that you get in consultancy. And and did you sort of gravitate straight to general insurance or did you consider life insurance? Was there anything else that was in the mix? So the reason I considered general insurance was because with life insurance, which I know is quite a popular destination for people in, um, in Pedras Consulting, I think I know there were a few people who moved to uh, life insurance for bulk pension annuity transfers. Mm. Uh, the reason I wanted to go to general insurance is because I felt that a lot of the factors that affect your work and affect the technical side of your work in pensions were quite similar in life insurance. With general insurance, there are all these additional factors that come in that you probably wouldn't consider when you're on the retirement consulting side. So it could be something like likelihood of natural disaster or geopolitical tensions. And I hadn't had that experience in the workplace and I thought that sounded really interesting. So that was why I decided to go to general insurance was just to learn a bit more about how these factors can affect an actuary's role and just be able to experience that firsthand. Did you do anything in particular? Obviously, the last couple of years, quite a lot of people did move from from pensions to GI. But did you do anything in the run up before you started applying and interviewing to to put yourself in a good position to to attend interviews? Did you do any particular research? Did you, yeah, what did you do to maximise your chances? So I found the best thing was to actually speak to people who had moved from pensions to insurance. Having mm-hmm. been able for four years, there were a couple of people who had made the move. It wasn't the case where all of them had made the move to the same area. I knew someone who had moved to pricing. I knew another person who had moved to reinsurance, which would be treated slightly differently to insurance, someone else who had moved to reserving. And I had someone who'd gone to capital modeling, which is where I am now. So I found that they were the best sources of information, the best date, best way to prepare, because not only would they be able to tell me the role they did now, but they'd be able to put it in terms of the roles that I'd already carried out at Aon because they themselves had carried out their roles before me or for a yeah. bit longer than me. So yeah. I found that the best way to learn about the transition from pensions consulting to insurance or from pensions to insurance was just to speak to people who had gone through that same transition. Yeah. After having those conversations, did you single out capital as an area of choice or was, was there an element of seeing what's around and yeah, how, how did you end up in capital modelling? So it was it was a case where I think I was gravitating more towards capital modelling, but I did highlight to the person I work with, the recruit that I work with, that I was open to other roles if she felt that they were more appropriate. But the reason I went towards capital modelling was because I liked the technical, again, I liked the technical element of it. It is something where the 
whole basis of capital modeling, especially when you're when you have an internal model, is just making sure that all these risks that your business is subject to are being captured in the model and that the model is treating them in a way that is effective and in a way that's compliant, obviously with regulators. It's um it was this important thing to make sure that there was sufficient work done to calculate that capital requirement that the insurer had. And it's quite it's a really good role for getting an idea of the insurer's insurer on the whole. With pricing and reserving, you can be quite specific. You might specifically be in cyber, you might specifically be in marine. But I liked capital modeling because I was able to apply those kind of fundamentals to the actuarial role across the whole business and see how the different things were affecting it. And so that's why I was attracted to that in particular. Yeah. For the benefit of anyone who's thinking of making this move, or maybe they're in the middle of, of trying to make it happen, um, you don't need to speak specifically about the Beasley interview process here. But I just wondered sort of generally, if you went to a few interviews, can you give any insight into what it's like, your experiences, pensions, you're interviewing for GI roles? How, what, what What's the interview process like? How was it for you? Well, I thought it was really good. I, I had an interview with um, my current manager to just chat about why I wanted to go into GI and also just, you know, show examples of communicating technical elements. I think such, I think an important thing about being an actuary, not only whether you're a consultant or whether you are internal, it's just being able to show that you can understand some of the more complex tasks in your job and be able to explain them in terms that can be easily understood, like not only to another person who's an actuary, but someone who maybe doesn't have as in-depth a technical knowledge as you know, you would or members of your team would. So I think the important thing is just if you are looking at making that change, firstly, be picky. Don't sort of panic apply or go for something because, you, you know, you might end up in a role that's not suited for you. Uh, and you might, of course, like, it might just lead to you needing to go through that whole process again. So I think the important thing would be make sure you're looking at several jobs if you haven't got the benefit of knowing people who have made that switch from pension to insurance and a whole world role look at those characters the role that you are interested in and then just similarly relate them to your current role in pensions consulting so that you're able to have clear-cut examples that match what they're looking for in an applicant and mm-hmm. I-, I felt that was the most important thing when moving is that i had examples of where i'd explain something technical i had looked into general insurance enough through speaking with my former colleagues and also doing research online on some of the more uh, prominent elements work like say solvency to how it works what solvency capital requirement is and what goes into calculating it just so that you had that no one's expecting you to know a massive amount of detail on exactly how you expect an internal model to work but as long as you have an understanding of what the capital requirement is why it's important to monitor capital and calculate capital then you know, for me, that was what I found helpful in the interview because I just felt a bit more prepared. And I think whenever you feel a bit more prepared, you feel a bit more relaxed and less likely to sort of fluff your words. Yeah. So um, so why did you choose Beasley? So Beasley had a really good reputation. Of course, like they've managed the largest syndicate in Lloyds. They had a wide range of business that was being written by them. And I actually had a former colleague at Aon also working in Beasley. And he was able to give me a really good insight into what the culture was like at the company. And he was loving it and said it was really good and like I think he knew exactly what kind of roles I was looking for and what kind of place I enjoyed uh, being at and it was it was comforting to have not only the opportunity to work at a company that had such a good reputation but also one where I had a good idea of what the culture was like and what the kind of role would include. 
So now that you've been there, I appreciate it's only six months, so you know, long, long way to go. But so far, how how different is it from from pensions? Um, so a bit about what what it's actually like now that you're in in GI, and also is it in line with what you expected? There's only so much you can sort of gather from talking to people in terms of what it's really like. Is it is it the same as what you thought? Is it better in some way? Yeah, just just generally give us a feel. Um, like I think as I said before, like I enjoyed my time at and it was just the kind of consultancy side I was unsure of. So not being in that consultancy role now and having a different team structure around the work I'm doing, I think I'm performing better in the structure we've got now at PC and that's something I enjoy. Like the, the support is still there, which is something I really liked. I think everyone was really welcoming. My manager has been um, really understanding because she used to be a consultant as well, although it was in insurance, she was able to sort of relate to what I was looking for and why I felt that an internal role would be better. Uh, hmm. The role itself, there are bits I was probably quite surprised I was able to bring over from pensions because, as I said, what I liked about the consultancy side was being able to communicate things to um, people and be able to get that opportunity to present. And because my role is involved in in-team testing, or because of the size of the model and the scale of the changes that are made, we regularly have to communicate that to other stakeholders in the business. So I'm still getting that opportunity to draft written communication. I'm still getting the opportunity to present it to meetings to people who are more senior than me and people in the team. So I'm really happy to be able to still to be able to still do that because that was something I really enjoyed yeah. beforehand. Um, I'm also liking sort of seeing how capital modeling works and the benefits of it and the decisions that arise from it in sort of real time in person as opposed to what kind of been, what you've been told on the on the um, like say CP one content or like exam content. So I think like for example uh, recently Beasley uh, issued a one hundred forty million dollar cyber cap bond, and you know, seeing it happen, how it operates, and seeing how the capital modeling team were involved in seeing what the impact of that would be was really interesting because you, you had an idea of what actually bonds were, but seeing it on screen and how you know the SCR changed and what goes into you know, kind of arriving at that number, even I wasn't directly involved in it, but just hearing it in like weekly catch-ups was really interesting. So, yeah, Let, let's say that somebody is getting their first actuarial role. They've got an offer from a pensions consultancy, and they've got an offer from a capital modelling team um, at somewhere like Beasley. Doesn't have to be Beasley. Um, both really good careers. But what advice would you give them when they're trying to work out what's best for them? What What are some of the differences they should keep in mind? Maybe. That's that's a really good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, definitely reach out to people at both companies. I'd be quite surprised if I know we're not talking about busy, but I mean I, I saw it at Aon, I saw it here. I think I'd be quite surprised if there weren't people there who were willing to give you an idea of what the role is like and give you some idea of the culture and what your progression would be like. And I think it, it's always helpful when there is someone at those companies who's able to explain things to you and just give you a bit more peace of mind, a bit more clarity as to what you can expect if you were to choose either role. As I said before, if someone was looking to make the transition, whether it even be from one pensions consultant to another or going from pensions consultancy to something in-house, just look at the characteristics they're looking for and look at the roles and how they align with what you want in your in your career. So you know, pension consultancy and internal capital, like capital modeling internally, Obviously, I've mentioned the similarities in being able to communicate things, but there are differences. This is a bit more technical with pitches consultancy. You get that uh, variety in terms of how each scheme operates, how 
maybe uh, processes, although they arrive at the same goal, are different between clients. I think it would just be important to focus on what you want in your role, like what you prioritize. I mean, outside of you know, salary, I think it's just how do you want to develop? I think where do you want to be in a couple of years' time? Do you want to be someone who's regularly speaking to clients or do you want to be someone who has technical knowledge? Do Which role offers a greater opportunity of you for you to do what you want in that long-term or mid-term? Um, yeah, yeah. I think that would be the most important thing because really like everything else, the actuarial fundamentals are going to be in both of them. The fundamentals of actuarial work can be in both of them. You're going to have to be doing 10 out of the same, the same 10 out of those 13 exams. So just focus on like what you're looking for in a role, the characteristics and which one just aligns more closely with your goals. Yeah, good advice. What's the learning curve like? The learning curve is um, is obviously quite steep because the capital model and kind of what comes with capital modeling is very technical. There are lots of factors that I haven't had to, that I hadn't had to deal with, which are now forming some major changes in this model. So it's, it's, it's quite steep to learn how to quantify some of those things because, you know, with pensions, like a lot of it was around mortality. It was around uh, inflation. It was around guilt yield, but they, they're already numerical in nature with insurance. There are things which have to sort of be translated into a figure. And I think learning how that's done is definitely something that's harder to learn than maybe um, some of the higher level parts of it. But it's obviously made easier because I've you know, been fortunate enough to have a really good team in terms of like mock me in and just um, making sure that I'm not given loads of work at once so that I'm kind of not able to look in detail and learn enough about it. But one, one of my first roles, for example, in in-team testing was making sure reinsurance was working it was um, working effectively and that everything was captured mm-hmm. in there and that had been input. And that was a really useful thing to be involved in because it meant that I was able to learn about the reinsurance part of the model. And now I think I have a better understanding of that. Next time we're doing an in-team test on something different, I can then learn about this. Like the model's huge. I'm not going to learn it in two months or three months in its entirety. But I found that although it can be quite steep, just the way that the work's distributed and the way that the works managed in the team has been really helpful and allowed me to just learn it at a pace where I'm able to sort of keep it in and learn it effectively so that I can use it in the future. And I don't actually know where you are with the exams. Are you qualified? Are you still working through uh, a few of them? No, I have three left. So I have CP1 to do, okay. um, SA3 and SP7. So I'll be taking SP7 and CP1 this time around. CP1 has been a bit of an unfortunate one for me. Unfortunately, it was my own third, <laughs> third attempt last sitting and I uh, got, I think I averaged, I got 56.75 and the pass mark was 57. So that took oh, that took a no. while to get over. <laughs> but um, that's where I'm at with the exams now. I'm hoping to qualify this year. I think that's my main goal outside of uh, tasking the workplace. I do want to end up passing those last three exams and uh, being able to put FIA after the name and no, I don't have to take any ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, what, what your motivations are. Is yeah. Qualification obviously is a big is a big part of that. Mm. But how, how do you sort of generally go? Are you, are you someone that, is it about progressing through different levels of seniority? Is it about just experiencing different things? Is it upskilling, learning new? I'd, I'd say it is about upskilling, learning new things. Yeah, just seeing seeing the underlying, sort of those fundamental aspects to capital modeling that I can then bring into my role and help me understand my role better. I'm not really thinking like, oh, I have to qualify because otherwise 
I won't be allowed to progress at work. I think it just goes back to my point before. I think how good you are, your role is in the is you know, is very very loosely dependent on how well you're doing your exams. The exams are kind of an indicator mm-hmm. to everyone else about what they think your actual knowledge is. But obviously, the people you work with will base it on your work more than your exam progression. Yeah. So for me, it's like I'm at that point. I have to complete it now. I've got I've done ten exams. I'm, I want to make sure that I finish it because I do when I I do find the exam topics interesting, and I do want to. I kind of finish what I've started and get that out of the way so I can get the uh that qualification I want. Um but yeah. I think it's it is it is a case of just learning learning those core principles for each area and it helping my role here rather than how I view myself progressing being completely dependent on those exams. Do you find sort of sort of linked to exams? I was wondering if you have found that in GI you get a little bit more time to study just because sometimes the assumption is the work-life balance can be better i don't think that's always the case at all but how have you found it in my experience it has been better but i do think in consultancy and this kind of goes back to where i felt consultancy wasn't the best for me in the long term you do have some control over your work life you do have a bit more control over your work-life balance than you might think initially when you go into consultancy Mm -hmm and you're quite eager and you're new, you want to take on everything that's happening. But eventually you get to that point where everything you're offered, but eventually you do get to that point where you have to prioritise what schemes is it you're um, most interested in, what projects is it you're most interested in, and where do you want to develop? And I think I found that with the schemes I was on, I enjoyed working with all the people on my scheme. So it was like, I found it quite hard, but I kind of shot myself on the foot a bit and maybe took on more work than I like had to. And I felt like this is kind of the bit where I'm maybe not doing as well in consulting, uh, in consulting. And now coming into insurance, as I said, because it's a smaller team, it's like working on one client team. You've all got that, you've all got that same goal. Um, and you're not in an industry where, of course, the revenue that your team generates is based on how many hours you've worked and how that's built. It is once you've done your work, you've done your work. And I found that although it hasn't been nine to five consistently every day i've felt more able to manage my work-life balance in this team structure compared to when i was in consultancy but that was a that was a something personal rather than something that was an issue yeah cool last question on bz what, what's the culture like i've got no idea uh, it's great i've increased the pensions but <laughs> it's great yeah um obviously it's uh it's since they specialize in insurance and has a multitude of different businesses that um they're involved in uh it's a lot it's a smaller kind of space and you do get to know people from other teams a lot more easily there is some relation between you and other teams no matter how loose it is uh mm-hmm. in the office you know, i think a lot of people have gone for the kind of hot desking approach now so you get the opportunity to speak to different teams find out what they do busy quite regularly you know, holding social events so you get to meet other people in the office you're definitely there's definitely no lack of opportunity for you to meet people in other teams at events that are mm-hmm. organized by Beasley. Um, and Beasley are very transparent with the way they communicate results and the way they communicate happenings, which is always a benefit when you work with them. You don't want to feel like you're being kept in the dark at all or anything. And yeah. I think that's obviously a really vital piece of the culture. Um, everyone, here's really, everyone here is obviously really friendly. I think the fact that it does revolve around making sure you are able to meet people in other teams and get to know them and just kind of expand that network internally is uh, it's really encouraged by the people here. And I think it's... Uh, quite a key part of the culture sounds brilliant so what advice would you give to someone who's just starting their career in actuarial now ask plenty of questions ask as many questions as you want because i think that 
one of the really important things is just understanding why you're doing the work you're doing and why you're doing it that way because it's such a fundamental flaw that I think everyone has I had it where you're worried about asking questions because you think oh did they explain it to me already and I just don't know um and you're only gonna kind of hurt your own progression if you do that because you spend a bit more time on something you're unsure of before you ask a question it's always better just to ask that question straight away and it's 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 important to be curious about the role you're in and about the career you're going into because it's just vital to making sure that you know it's right for you and you become more aware of areas that you may be interested in the long term yeah brilliant my final question is what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months and that can be work related outside of work uh, qualifying hopefully uh, that's my that's my yeah. goal <laughs> the next 12 months but um i think related to work thing what i'm looking forward to is uh, just learning even more about the team learning more about um what's the model and how my role fits into the wider business and just becoming more ingrained in gi and finding out more stuff about it i enjoy what do you do outside of work out of interest outside of work i've quite about a year now i've been trying to uh get a bit more into calisthenics uh i've really enjoyed it it's just like um it's all like bodyweight exercises so it's also like pull-ups and dips and you see some people do like handstands um like front lever all these whole things like that and it's just something i felt really interesting because i used to go gym but i have no idea what i was doing and then um i spoke to a friend who's in uh who's in personal training and got into calisthenics it definitely made it all more interesting so I think the goal in that point is just to get to these with like human flagging front lever positions that I think uh, would be just cool to be able to do so how do you practice that if it was me I would do like pull-ups and stuff in the gym and I'd do, <laughs> do all the fancy stuff locked away in a room where no one could see me <laughs> well do you, do you have people you <laughs> well, yeah so I have the people so like I said my friend was able to give me some like obviously some great pointers and really help me um on kind of like my fitness journey and my calisthenics journey on there and then the um gym I'm at at the moment has quite a few different sections so there is one where there is like a full rig and you're able to try out all these things with people who can also help you progress and kind of fix anything you're doing wrong uh yeah. so uh, uh no unfortunately I have a gym that has that equipment but I just want to get better at that. <laughs> I won't ask you to do a demo. No, though, but, uh, maybe next yeah, time. <laughs> I'll use the excuse that there's nothing here I can do a demo on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, I mean, thank you so much for your time. It's um, as I say, we we hadn't even spoken on the phone before before today, and um, I've wanted to to speak to someone who's moved into GI, and I think you've been really fair in terms of you know what it's like in both, and it sounds like you've you've enjoyed both pensions and GI, but. I can just tell you seem to love what you're doing now and um, I'm really pleased for you. So thanks again for, for taking the time. That's okay. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Actuarial People. Please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review. If you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests, please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com. This podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.